This is Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bacon. This is the place where people from all walks of life share their anxiety stories to remind you that you are not alone. If you have an anxiety story you'd like to share, contact us at anxietycanada.com slash ouranxietystories. This is John Bateman, and you're listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast, which can be found at anxietycanada.com or any of your popular podcast platforms. Today, I'm speaking with Eugenie Turner, who will be turning 99 in November. She was one of the few women in the Royal Canadian Air Force chosen to travel overseas and serve on a bomber base in Britain. There, she witnessed horrific crashes, dodged bombs, and worked around the clock on D-Day. Eugenie, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, it's just a pleasure to have you here. Uh, I started off with the name of the podcast. Uh, Eugenie, um, what's your anxiety story? Well, really, there's not too much anxiety. I, uh, Of course, you know, I went through quite a bit being bombed and so on. And uh, I was always surprised how well I came out of all these situations. Uh, and... Uh, uh, otherwise, I mean, uh, you know, my life in the service was was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have changed it for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, like, when I when I because I'm somebody who's had anxiety in my life, and you've you've you know been in the face of a lot of what people people would consider to be very traumatic situations. Um, you you say you've been bombed. Could you give me sort of a you know a little description of of what went on when that was happening? Well, I think the first time it happened, um, I went on leave in London with a a girlfriend of mine, and um, while we were in the movies, the sirens went on, that uh, the raids were starting, and uh, we had to go into the uh, shelters. Mm -hmm. Well, I have claustrophobia, so I never went into a a shelter. So... um, we thought we were close to Piccadilly Circus, so I said, well, let's go underground, like, you know. Mm-hmm. And Piccadilly Circus is the longest uh, escalator in London. So we went there. Somebody fell at the bottom of the stairs, and people were piling up and screaming. And so I said to Joan, I'm not going down there either. So we went back out again, but uh, the wardens, if they saw us, they made us go into the uh, shelters. But we managed to hide in a doorway somewhere and watch the bombs coming down and hitting close by and so on. But uh, we managed to, uh, you know, to be saved from that anyway. But that was my first experience, so it was quite dramatic, actually. And uh, so some of the other ones, well, uh, I guess when, um, well, we were bombed on our wedding night, so. uh, Oh, my goodness. Yes. So they hit the the building across the street from our hotel. Our window went flying inside, and uh, we were told to uh, go into the basement, and we spent our wedding night drinking tea in the basement really not what we had in mind (laughs) but uh, anyway we managed to uh, to get through that one without being hit and um, 
So, of course, on the base, you know, we had about 30 bombers on our base, 408 Squadron and 426 Squadron. They had Halifax and, uh, and uh, Lancasters. Yeah. And uh, so when they took off, like, you know, to go on a raid, it was quite something. I watched them get circle around the base and get together before they left. And one time uh, I had worked all day and I was on my way. I used to go to Mass at 5 o'clock. And uh, so it, I was on my way to the chapel when uh, a fighter and a bomber hit in the air, fully loaded with bombs. Whoa. So that was quite an experience. I mean, the, the pieces of planes and people came, you know, coming down, and I don't think they found anything bigger than a foot. Yeah. I mean, it was in pieces. So that was quite an experience and anxiety, of course. And uh, I made it to the chapel, and Father Monaghan was saying Mass, and he had just said, you know, given communion to some of these boys, and he was saying Mass, and the tears were coming down his face, you know. Mm -hmm. so, so that was quite an experience. So after you have something like that happen, and, you know, like you say, it does give you anxiety, what, you know, what do you do, you know, in your head, or how do you think? To kind of to kind of get past that or, or kind of heal from that if if you ever do well you do but fortunately uh, I'm a, a firm Christian Catholic mm -hmm. and uh, and I turned to God in those days and mm -hmm. talked to him and asked for his help and uh, you know and, and felt bad for the boys that uh, you see, I had to send, a, I was a teletype operator in telecommunication, and I had to send all the names and numbers and position aboard the, the aircraft, so all the boys going on a mission. Mm -hmm. I had to send that to headquarters in London, and when they came back, I had to send a casualty list, which this is one part of my job I really never got used to. Although I didn't know these boys, but just the fact of knowing that so many of them didn't return. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, that's that's how I cope with it. Yeah, with, uh, with religion, I guess. Is, yes. Is one thing. Yeah. yes, I think so. I don't know how other people coped with it, but I had that to fall back on, and I still do. Yeah. I, so, uh, and th and that's what you still let you know if you have points in your life where you have stress or anxiety, as we all do. Um, that's still something you you fall back on the the higher power to to get you through things. Well, yes, because I've lost my husband thirty eight years ago. So for thirty eight years now, every night I ask him to come and get me. Because we only had 40 years, but there were 40 great years with five really great children. Yeah. So, so I've been alone for, for for 38 years, but I have kept so busy in my life, and now I feel so useless. You know, at 99, 
I, there's not much I can do. I've got an electric chair for one thing because my legs are so bad. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's not much I can do. I'm in a retirement home. Yeah. And, uh, and then when I start feeling a little sorry for myself, I look around here and I find myself very lucky, really. Yeah, counting your blessings, I guess. Oh, yes, of course, yes. So, uh, what kind of, I'm curious because you know, when you know, you talk about retiring, um, mm -hmm. because that's something that happens to people is they they retire and that that you know, they're not ready for it or it brings them a great deal of stress and you know, they wish they didn't retire or whatever that is. Um, mm -hmm. you know, when you lost your husband and, and you retired, whatever order that went in, um, what kind of things did you do, um, to, to kind of keep going? Uh, well, we lived in California for 25 years, and we were in California when my husband passed away. And uh, I stayed there for a few years, but then I had a sister uh, that moved here. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so I thought, well, maybe I'd like to come back to Canada. And, and uh, so I came back to Canada, and uh, in no time at all, I found out about the Air Force Wing that they had here in the Legion. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I joined these two organizations, and um, I was I was on welfare and visitation with uh, the Air Force. Mm -hmm. So uh, whenever a member of the wing was in the hospital and that, I'd go and visit them and and uh, try to cheer them up and do whatever I could if if they were alone and no one to help and. Um, so it, it's, uh, and then with the Legion, uh, I went into the Legion and I did the same thing for the members of the Legion. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I, was, I was pretty busy considering, you know, we had the meetings and uh, uh, so, so that kept me going. Mm -hmm. But uh, now, of course, at 99, you know, there's not much I can do anyway, so mm -hmm. fortunately I still have most of my marbles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you certainly do. Yeah, so. Uh, so so I, I, I guess for you, I mean, you've obviously had a sense of purpose throughout your life, but, you know, as you moved into that second part of your life, I guess creating or maintaining a sense of purpose was really important. Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, of course, m most of my family are gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, and most of my friends, you know, at 99, there's not too many friends. Fortunately, I joined a tennis club here. I've always been a tennis player. Mm -hmm. And I was playing tennis three times a week until I was about 80. But So a lot of the old ladies that I play tennis with are much younger than I am. They're only in their 80s. Right. So, so they're, they're, it's very good to have younger friends. You know, we're still very much in touch and... Uh, so that that keeps me going a little bit so that's nice yeah and what about your kids you said you have five kids yes but i lost three already my daughter passed away at 55 i'm sorry cancer. yes she lived in uh, north carolina of course my children uh, grew up in california so naturally they met people from the states you know mm -hmm. and that, and then my youngest son was only 51. He died of uh, uh, hepatitis 3. Oh. 
and uh, yes, and then my uh, number two son, Greg, uh, was in Vietnam. Both my son, my oldest son, were in the Vietnam War, and they were both exposed to Agent Orange, oh. and um, uh, it he was exposed to it, but it affected him in some ways. But he managed to have a very nice, good life, you know, considering he had three children himself and that, but it finally caught up with him at 64. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, um, you know, this is why it makes me wonder why my husband and three of my children are gone in here. I'm still here, yeah, you know. Uh -huh. Well, I mean, you're here for me. I'm glad you're here because you're incredibly interesting to talk to. I, you know, what I'd like to ask you about, if you don't mind, is you've yeah. obviously with, you know, during the war and, and with your family, um, experienced loss, uh, you know, of loved ones and very close loved ones. How do you, uh, how, how do you deal with that? You know, is it something that you are always affected by? Yes, um, yeah. still. Oh, yes. You never really get over that, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, especially, well, with my husband so young, uh, the children had all left home, and um, uh, we bought a trailer. We were just going to hit the road and travel and take our time, you know. Mm -hmm. And in no time at all, he came down with lung cancer, and mm -hmm. that is second uh, chemo treatment. That was it. That took him away. Yeah. And, uh, so he was only 62. Yeah, so that's very young. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm I'm very sorry to hear that. I just lost a friend who was uh, 61 uh, last year. So yeah, it's very very difficult. I, I'm kind of curious about uh, if you don't mind me asking, when you um, how did you get into the military and and you know what was it like? You know what? How did you feel when you were actually actually ended up being shipped out? Uh, you know, going to I, I don't know if you had been overseas before. What did that all feel like? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, for one thing, um, I graduated from the convent, and uh, then I went to business college and graduated. Uh, I'm bilingual. I'm French-Canadian. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I went to work for the Sun Life Insurance Company, and when I heard that finally they, the uh, uh, military were accepting women, I thought, oh, that's for me, you know. But I was so sorry I was a woman because I wanted to be a pilot so badly. Right. And um, so whenever I talked about it at the house, my mom and dad, no way, you know, you're not going into the service. But I, I never really went against my parents' uh, decisions. But this time, this is something I had to do. Mm -hmm. So I went and enrolled. Mm -hmm. And enlisted in the, in the recruiting office, and my husband, my brother was in the navy, so he came home one weekend, and I just had to tell somebody, you know. So I told Charles, I said that I had joined up, but I says don't tell mom and dad because they don't want to hear about it, you know. So, mm -hmm. but he squealed on me. Oh no, brothers, yes. brothers. And uh, so uh, my parents. Uh, said, well, you're, you're not going. I hadn't been sworn in yet, you know, I had just signed up. And he said, well, your, your mom is going to go to the recruiting office tomorrow and tell them you can't go. 
So mom did that, and fortunately, the officer that was in charge that day was Miss Forte, and she was French because my mom didn't speak any English. So my mom came back and she says, "Well, it's all set. You know, you you're, they're not going to take you." So I didn't say anything, but on the day I was supposed to be sworn in, I went in anyway. And Miss Forte said. Uh, uh, Miss Franca, your parents don't want you to. I says, oh, we talked about it, and and we decided it's all right. I can go. So that was a lie. <laughs> something I had to do. So I was sworn in, and I I had packed my bag and get already hid it in the garage until Saturday morning, and uh, we. My dad worked for the CNR, and we lived in the railroad station. So our living room door gave out right on the platform. You got mm-hmm. out and took the train right there, you know. So, mm-hmm. so I got up early, and I thought I'll take the first train into Montreal because I was leaving for Ottawa in the afternoon. So I did. I got to the door, and I'm waiting for the train, and my mom came down. And she said, you're leaving, huh? I says, Mom, I'm sorry. You know I never went against your wishes. But I says, this is something I have to do. She says, all right. She says, I'll fix it with your dad. Mm. So, so I left. And I'm waiting for the train in, uh, in Montreal for Ottawa because I was going to Rockcliffe for basic training. And then I see my dad coming. <laughs> and uh, I thought, oh, boy. So he said, you're leaving. I said, yes. He says, well, do you need any money? I said, no. Everything is supplied for us in the the Air Force. He said, well, you be a good girl now. I said, Dad, you brought me with good principles, and I'm taking them with me. Mm -hmm. Good. So uh, I left and uh, had basic training in Rockcliffe. And I really, really enjoyed my life in the Air Force. As a matter of fact, if I had been a man, I would have stayed in the military. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you would have had you would have had a great deal of excitement going over. Like you, you weren't were you anxious going over initially to to kind of you know be in the action as it were. Well, you know, my first posting was Ganderby, Newfoundland, mm-hmm. and we were in Halifax waiting for the ship. To uh, cut across from Halifax to St. John's, and uh, we took this boat or a ship. I, I found out that, you know, you, a boat is only a small boat, but these bigger military, sh- they were ships. Anyway, uh, we were chased by submarines in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Oh, you both. Yes, mm-hmm. and I was sitting in the lounge, you know, and all of a sudden, boom, and everybody went flying on the floor, and I thought, what's this, you know? So one of the fellow, the, the uh, Navy fellows said, he says, oh, we're dropping depth arches, and they call them ash cans in those days. Mm-hmm. He says, we're being chased by submarine. I says, oh, wow. So that was my first experience, really. Yeah. So I was a little shaken up with that, but we made it anyway. And I spent 10 months in Gander Bay. 
And uh, that gander was, you know, all the bombers and aircrafts uh, going overseas always stopped in gander to refuel and, you know, take care of the few things they needed to do for the, the bombers and the aircrafts. So it was very interesting. Uh, my office with uh, telecommunication uh, was almost in the tower, like, you know, and uh, so I was quite close to what was going on, all the new aircrafts coming in and mm -hmm. and all my days off I would head for the hangars and pester the, the fellows there to take me up like they <laughs> had. Yeah, they had the Harvards and uh, small aircrafts and that, you know. And so it was quite interesting. I, I enjoyed being in Gander. And from there, uh, they, they, um, I was uh, posted back to Montreal and uh, we'd been waiting for a plane to go back to uh, to uh, Montreal for a couple of weeks because the weather had been so bad there was nothing taking off nothing landing so finally there was a, a B-24 Liberator from the RAF because our base in Gander we had the uh, RCAF and, and then there was the RAF and there was the American base, and there was the pick two islander, the army. So anyway, one of the bombers in the RAF was leaving for Dorval, and um, they were they were willing to take so many of us if we wanted to. So I thought, well, that's fine. So uh, uh, we had to bring all our luggage to um, the hangars at the RAF. And so I was saying goodbye to my friends in the canteen that night, and this young airman comes straight to me, and I don't ever remember seeing him on the base. And he said, um, they called me Frankie there, because my name is, was Franca, and they used to murder my name, so they reported <laughs> it to Frankie. So he said, Frankie, I hear you're waiting for a flight to go back to Montreal. I said, yes. As, as a matter of fact, I'm leaving tomorrow morning with the RAF bomber. He said, well, one of our own B-24 is leaving tonight, and I talked to the pilot, and he said that if you want to go, he'll take you tonight. Wow. I, said, I said, yes, but my gear is all in the RAF uh, hangar. He says, I've got a small truck outside there. We can pick it up, and you can leave tonight if you want to. I said, well, why not? They were going to Dorval, which was only five miles from where I lived whereas St. Hubert was quite further down. Mm -hmm. So uh, I left and uh, flew uh, back to... Uh, and they had me sitting in the gun turret in the front of the bomber. Wow. So, yes, so it was quite interesting, especially... Really? Yes, we hit a thunderstorm. I've never <laughs> been so close to lightnings and, and dropping and getting up again. and. So that was quite an experience. So the next day, my dad came home for lunch, and we're we're listening to the news, and they said the uh, uh, B-24 that left Gander this morning, RAF B-24 left Gander this morning, crashed on the coast of Labrador, and there's no no survivor. Oh my goodness! Can you imagine? And I was the only one brought taken off, you wow. know, to. Yes. So uh, it, it, even now when I talk about it, I get shivers. <laughs> well, I could, I can, I mean, 
you know, I can see, you know, I can understand, you know, your belief in God and, and, uh -huh. you know, that, that that's definitely an indication, you know, I guess some people maybe would feel, you know, there's, there's something called survivor's guilt, but uh -huh. I, I imagine you took a sense of purpose from that or, or meaning from that. Yes, exactly. That's mm -hmm. what I did. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I was uh, stationed in Montreal, but I was allowed to live at home. So um, I was traveling back and forth from Lachine to downtown Montreal, where the Air Force uh, office was. And uh, I wasn't home two months when my posting came for overseas. So, uh, so again, I left for, uh, for Halifax, waiting for a ship to go overseas. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and this sailing, oh, that was so interesting. And you know, there's, a, there's something about me, I don't know why, but we hit another storm. And so by the time we finished the storm, we'd lost a convoy. We were all alone in the Atlantic. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And everybody was seasick, and uh, I, I spent more time uh, sleeping in the bathtub with a blanket and a towel and a, a pillow mm -hmm. because there were so many people sick all over the place. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, we made it, mm -hmm. and uh, I was posted to Linton Onus, the number six crew bomber command. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was for the rest of the war. Yeah, wow. I, you know, I have a, a question for you. Um, I, I had a grandmother who lived to 104. Um, oh, my. Yeah, yeah. And she and she got to a point, definitely, where she was ready to, as she would say, move on ahead. Um, you know, with me, one of my, my anxieties throughout my life has been a fear of death. Um, and I guess I'm curious, you know, how do you... You know, how do you look at death yourself, or how do you view your own mortality? Well, you know, I, I, I don't mind it. As a matter of fact, you know, as I told you, since my husband's passed away for 38 years, I've been asking him to come and get me, and I know he has no power over that. Mm -hmm. Then I turn to God, mm -hmm. and there, there is a reason for my still being here, and I'll find out when I get up there. But I'm not afraid of dying, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, so I, 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 it's strange that you should ask, because last night I was thinking about that, and I thought, what really happens when you get up there? You know, the millions of people mm -hmm. have been, where do we go? Mm -hmm. Will I meet my husband? Will I see him? Will I see my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters? Mm -hmm. You know, all these things are going through my mind. But uh, but I, I'm not afraid of dying. Yeah, uh, my my guess is that you will see them all. <laughs> that that they will all be there. Oh, I hope you're right. Yeah, I I, I firmly believe that. Yes. Um, uh, Eugenie, I really appreciate you sharing your story with with us. Um, it's it's a remarkable life, and you know you've served a remarkable purpose, and you've definitely served, you know talking to to me and talking to our listeners about how you've endured a lot so much and and how you've managed to you know live this incredible life i i really appreciate you talking to me today you're very welcome it's a pleasure really mm -hmm. and uh, you know my story is in two books oh yeah okay 
Yes, it, one is uh, my favorite veterans by Eleanor. Um, oh, I can never Florence. Okay. And then one is in the, by uh, Leslie Perkins. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and then this is my sixth interview. I had one in French, which mm -hmm. happened on television. Yeah. And uh, and then. Uh, one of them, they interviewed me here and made a disc of it, and it's in the library here, and we'll be going into the schools to uh, let the children know about the war. Because when I went to school, it was you know it wasn't that long after the First World War. We never talked about it, mm -hmm. you know. And but this time they want the children to know what happened, what uh, what we went through, and so on. It's it's very important. So the, so those books can be found. You know, you, you, they can be ordered. They can be found. You know, uh, online or at bookstores. Yes, at the yeah. stores. Yes. Great, mm -hmm. great. Well, um, I'm sure people will will grab that. I know I'm going to go out and get some copies because it's just been so interesting. Eugenie, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate. It. I hope to talk to you again soon. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank uh, you. Okay. Take care. You will do. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our Anxiety Stories. If you'd like to support this podcast or Anxiety Canada, go to anxietycanada.com.